Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another episode of the Bobo and Flex show. My name is Bobo and I am your host and I'm with the beautiful Flex. Flex, how are you today? All right, everyone. I'm here and I am good. Yeah, I can say I'm good. Yeah. Um, do you know what? I will say I'm good because I've been doing little things to aid me in feeling better. Ooh. But I found that like, you know, when you do things that are good for you, like you drink your water and you, you know, get up and you make sure you're moving and you might meditate or you might consciously think a little bit more positive or you might be a bit more patient with people around you. And in my head, I thought the culmination of these things would make me feel better, like better than usual. If anything, it just makes sure that I'm maintaining feeling good for longer. So there's less fluctuation in mood and more so a constant, yeah, I'm good. Because all the the culmination of the little things you're doing to make sure you're feeling better than usual will have you keeping feeling better more often. Mm. Yeah, I I actually think that's the point. Like, I think oftentimes people try to pursue permanent happiness, which is an oxymoron. Um, by definition, happiness needs a contrast in order to be happiness. But I find that like, especially like the wellness industry and like the spiritual, you know, like the, yeah, like that spiritual beads and crystals industry, they try to sell us this myth of like being permanently happy when really the goal is to like learn how to feel better for longer stretches of time and not like to be in a permanent state of bliss. Mm. And I also guess it's changing your relationship to what is even feeling good because Mm. I know a lot of people have an ideal state of being or if they were to project forward into you know, their future, they would be like, oh, you know, I would do these certain things because then I'd be a more spiritually aligned person. I'd be a better person. So the me in five years is going to start eating well. The me in five years is going to start exercising. The me in five years is going to go to therapy. But it's counterintuitive to think that way because if you don't do the little things today to make sure you're that person in five years, then five years comes and you're still that bitch eating McDonald's (laughs) wondering why your face is crusty. (laughs) Literally. And it's so interesting. So like I briefly touched on this before we hit record when you were asking me about my day. So today was kind of just a shitty day for me. Um, And I've been thinking a lot about like ambition and how that's tied to happiness and peace of mind. Because I have a friend who called me this morning, which like he literally never calls me. But I I have a friend who called me this morning because he's just really 
I guess he's going through like his midlife crisis, but he's really, really depressed and like just really suicidal because he's like, oh my God, I don't know who I am. I think I underestimated the extent to which Corona really fucked with people's sense of self. Like, I think I really underestimated the extent to which people don't know who they are when they're not being productive. And so like, Mm. I think a lot of people think ambition is happiness or a lot of people think that there's like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow of of ambition. And it's just like a permanent place. Um, But I've been thinking about this so much today because a friend of mine called me and he was just like, oh my God, I actually, I don't know who I am. Um, now that I can't perform because he's a musician he's like now that I can't perform so many like there's a lot of studios I just can't um, record in everything is on hold my entire career I just don't even know what it's gonna be and he literally is just like well then should I just kill myself like a lot of times we think like the people who are like really busy all the time have it all figured out when a lot of times like that constant being busy is just a running away from like actually who you are. And it's just really interesting that like everyone chases this thing, but no one ever gets there because it just doesn't exist because everyone Mm. thinks like the pot of gold at the end of ambition is just permanent happiness. When really (laughs) I think the point of ambition is just to create longer stretches of peace of mind, but not Mm -hmm. like permanent peace of mind. And it's so interesting. How what is like your relationship with productivity lately? I've been feeling this week especially I've been feeling extra lazy and just like feeling guilty for being lazy, but I'm trying to unlearn that. But like what's your relationship since corona with like productivity and ambition all that good stuff? I find it easier to regulate my own like cooked a relationship to productivity when I'm dictating my own timelines <laughs> and when <Yeah>. I'm dictating <laughs> um, the amount of work that I want to do based on how I'm feeling. And yeah, it's something, yeah. it's a privilege that you can you have when you are a freelancer because you don't work, mm. you don't get paid, you work, you get money. Yeah. Um, so I find that to be very easy. It's communicating that with the people that I then work with, you know, because yeah. I was, I had this, um, uh, I was having this train of thought the other day and I was trying to find a concise way to explain it to Grace. And I was thinking about how so much of me is quite like logical and that logical, rational way of thinking really translates into how I work and perform. So I need, I do what needs to be done. I want to do the job. I don't want to be confused. I want deadlines to be clear. And if there's a deadline, then how I get to that deadline is my business. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm, like I don't yeah, want to be yeah. pushed and prodded in either direction. <clears throat> yeah. But what I ended up finding is that for such a logical, like uh, rational person, I am quite controlled by how I feel and not necessarily my emotions, but just a vibe. I'm very vibe driven, intuitive in the sense that (laughs) I can't just, I can't just work because something needs to be done. Like I need to feel the vibe. I need to like be able to trust who I'm working with. I need to be able to trust that the people that I'm working with understand. It's far more than ticking a box for me. And so, cause I was starting to um, find myself feeling less and less motivated by other people's priorities so Mm, if I had a job by that 
So, for example, if I had a job and the deadline was the 18th of August, for example, part of me, and like, let's say I got got the brief on the 1st of August, part of me knows that I would do that job within the next two weeks when I feel like it. And that's not to say I'm going to do it when I have to. When internally I'm like, oh, I feel open-minded about this. I feel like I've, I can feel like I can feed into this project very well and I will do it. I can't determine when in that two weeks that that's going to happen, but it will because I'm duty bound and I know I have a responsibility to do it. So I will, but for my own sake, I'm going to choose a day and time that suits me and not just me, like out of me, not just me like, oh, I just like, I want to go out to lunch. No, like internal me, (laughs) like like, at, at the core, the one that's like emotionally sound, who's not feeling anxious, who's not feeling upset, who's not feeling angry, just feeling temperamental so I can work best. And that is like a tricky thing to explain to a client who's kind of like, we just need this by the 10th. And I'm like, "Mm, I get it. Yeah. But also the deadline is the 18th. So I can just get it to you whenever in this time. Like I've got the brief. I've submitted to you like what, I've submitted to you my concept for said brief. Why must I now do the back and forth chit chats? Like part of the privilege of working on my own is working on my own. Not working on my own. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's so interesting because I feel as though um, you're able or I'm able to do better work when I'm completely dictating how the work is done. And Mm. I remember when, because I I started trialing a therapist again and part of what came up as well is my preoccupation of wanting to do things the way I deem them necessary and logical and my sense of logicality is based on my own experiences. And I hate to have to like justify why I'm doing certain things, especially when they're creative. Like, I don't know. Like, this is not part of the job description. I just get to do things. Right, right. It's a whole strange thing. But like we mentioned in the people don't care episode, like I'm more, it's, I've had to remind myself the sign of the times. We're in a pandemic. (laughs) Like we're not in an environment (laughs) where things are the same, where things are normal. And especially I can only speak for myself and my experience, but I live an unconventional lifestyle for a reason. I didn't just pop into this and say, oh, this is how we're going to work out. Yeah, yeah. Like I've set it up. So I get paid to be myself and to do work that aligns with who I am. So this kind of logic may not align with someone who has to be, who has to work for a corporation, has to clock in, clock off, wear your uniform and go. But in the privilege of my lifestyle, I'm literally commodifying myself. So it's important that my whole self is fully aligned. And that's the kind of internal conflict I've been battling with because professionalism doesn't allow for personal, like personal needs. Yes, yeah. The the professional doesn't care that, you know, you've got um, asthma, that your parents just die, (laughs) that you've got depression, your vibes are off. The professional doesn't care. But in my instance, I'm commodifying the personal, therefore everything needs to be aligned. And that's a tricky thing to reconcile in myself and remind myself because it isn't just work when you are selling yourself right (laughs) that's the thing that's oh my god I've been thinking about this so much too because I think what you're talking about comes down to like how do we balance being structured versus being chaotic because Mm -hmm. when you're on the extreme of either one like that's pretty unhealthy more often than not people are far too structured I think a lot of 
our suffering as human beings comes from the fact that we take everything too seriously. Like, yeah, I really think there should probably be like two things in life that are serious and everything else is just, it's just absurd. Like, it's just low-key kind of trivial. No, not trivial, but just absurd. And I just... I think that's where a lot of people's like corona depression comes from is mm. from like grappling with the inherent I think for for a lot of people it's the first time that they're confronted with the inherent chaotic nature of reality when the world has convinced them that there is structure when there never mm-hmm. was you know what I mm-hmm. mean like it, it, like everything was pseudo structural but nothing was ever actually structural because <laughs> chaos reigns over everything always and like that's also the thing that i grapple with the most and sometimes i wonder like is the freedom of having my own time better than because like you said when you when you're a freelancer your the amount of money you mer- the amount of money that you make is proportionate to the amount of work that you put in but if someone's hiring you for a job like for the most part if you're working for a corporation or another company, regardless of how much work you do, you will get that income at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder, like, which one is better? Like, which, mm. <laughs> you know, like, how do we balance those pros and cons? Like, how do you really decide whether freedom is a good thing or not? It's all personal. Yeah. I, I would say it comes down to how well you're able to make either either one work for you and that's where I feel as though most people get it twisted they end Mm. up trying to squeeze what's that what's that cliche trying to fit a square peg into a round hole yeah yeah so looking at two seemingly you know fine things and assuming they can work together because if you look at them separately they make sense like you're a person who wants a job they're a corporation that needs people to do the job shouldn't it work can it not just make sense and often it doesn't though I do think that structure and chaos can work quite well together I mean Mm. I like the structure of knowing that there is a job and a client and a brief I like the freedom of knowing that I'm in an I'm in a work environment that dictates like I'm literally being paid to do this job because I am me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So how me chooses to exercise that right within the context of having this job and this brief and this money in exchange for for fulfilling that brief should be fair. But I also think that, uh, again, it's like having to... Do you know what this reminds me of? Um, I was mm. listening to the... T- is it Tim... Sam Harris? Sam Harris. Sam Harris's podcast? Yeah, Maybe. yeah, I know him. Um, The old guy, right? It's the old guy. Tim Ferriss is the young guy. Sam Harris is the old guy. Anyway, yeah, I think so, he's like 50. Yeah. Yes. So I can't remember the episode or the guest. How, you know, I could check on my phone, but why? <laughs> the guest was talking about um he's a humanist and a psychologist that has moved into studying positive psychology and human behavior and how that intersects and all that good stuff but anyway sam harris went to ask his guest what do you think the difference between creativity intelligence and wisdom is Ooh, i want to hear your definition too 
Well, I don't know. I'm just going to take this. I hadn't even thought about it up until this um, podcast episode. But yeah. the, uh, the guest said that creativity is the ability to see what could be. So what this relationship Ooh, could be, that. what this podcast could be, what the world could be. Um, it's sort of taking uh, the reality of, you know, what is, but thinking outside. And, you know, the past conversations we've, we've had about a system of being outside of capitalism and I've struggled mm. to see past what is because I'm not using a creative mind. I'm using yeah. an intelligent mind. An intelligent mind is the ability to see what is. What mm. is happening now? What am yeah. I feeling? What is this conversation? What are we yeah. saying? And then wisdom is the ability to reconcile two incompatible things as both being truthful and factual. So you might be able to say that um, it's professional to uh, wear a suit and tie to a corporate job, but you can also reconcile the fact that what you wear does not really dictate how well you can or can't do a job and the professionalism Mm. associated with doing said job. But wisdom allows you to see that both are... Uh, both are truthful and factual, quote unquote, depending on where you base your truth and fact, because your creative mind allows you to see what could be, you know, existing in a time and space where what you wear doesn't infringe on the job you're able to do. But what is, is the fact that we have social norms that tell us we must look a certain way to fulfill a certain job. So that brings me kind of down to the conversation we were just having about, you know, reconciling the fact that as a freelancer or whatever, you should have certain um, freedoms and privileges to do things a certain way, but you're also existing in an environment where things have to be done a particular way. And that conflicts and contrasts because, you know, that just is the way the world works. Yeah. But I haven't been able to get that out of my head because you start to want, you start to be mindful of where you're not using your creative brain in certain situations, Mm. um, where you're not using your intelligent brain and where you lack wisdom. That's so interesting. I especially agree with that definition of creativity. So creativity is really just like imagination in motion. Like it's just, yeah, the action component of imagination. I also Mm -hmm. find interesting that they define wisdom the way that we've defined critical thinking. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like oftentimes on this podcast, we've defined critical thinking as the ability to reconcile contradictions like the ability Mm -hmm. to recognize that two things can be true one thing can be true one thing can be false and still like reconcile the pushing yeah like still (laughs) keep it pushing which i think is a lot of like where i think a lot of people are so linear in their thinking that they can't like that's the last thing that's present is that just like inability to reconcile I can also see how it's jarring. Like, I think it's so much more comfortable to live under the illusion of, like, absolutes to that, like, wisdom can just actually also just be oppressive to a lot of people's minds. So I get it. And in so many environments, you don't have to challenge the absolute because Mm, the world is... The world is, exists structurally in a way where the absolutes continue to move forward as you move forward. Yeah, you know, it, like your environment supports this alternative, not not alternate, your environment supports this very stringent belief. So you would have to really step outside your day-to-day to see any other side of that existence. So for instance, um, if you are somebody who works in corporate, wherever you're from, or just in a traditional conventional job where you must have to wear a certain, a certain 
uniform whether that's a suit yeah. or a pencil skirt heels whatever that might be it's not going to occur to you and you might not have time to critically analyze that there are people yeah. who operate in certain environments where what they wear doesn't infringe on how they're able to do a job and you don't have to because your path is set up in a way where your existence imitates your belief systems and vice versa like there's oh no friction God, there yes. it is what it is <laughs> Yes. But for other people, us included, our existence, uh, there's friction between our existence and our beliefs because we're at, we're at the, the point of contradiction. Like we te- mm. tiptoe the line of contradictions because we are the physical embodiment of those contradictions. This podcast Wait, is a physical... Well, for, ex- for example, what we were talking about in our last episode, how we see a lot of friction in our Facebook group because people have yet to realise that you can... Uh, you can be a part of a system that benefits you and critically analyze said system. That was a concept really easy for us to understand because it's what we do. Right. You know, so it aligns with, it aligns with our lifestyle. It imitates like the beliefs around us. It is what it is. But if you're someone who's quite the opposite in the sense that there is no contradiction in your lifestyle, you are what you eat. You are where you go to your job. You are who you work with. You are what you believe in and you do what you believe in. Then it's all aligned and then there's no problems, but that's not very few people have the privilege to do so. I'm not even sure it is a privilege who bloody knows. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but again, it's like reconciling with those contradictions can be quite powerful because it allows you to see past what is because yes it's very i find it to be very um i don't know if naive is the right word but let's just use naive it's naive Mm. to think that things are as you perceive them because you perceive them that way listen this is the like number one law of physics like literally (laughs) you cannot trust your senses they will always like that, the question that philosophers fight over every day, which is like, what is the true nature of reality? Mm-hmm. You have you heard of um, the story of Plato's cave? No. Which is, it's kind of a long story, but the the moral of the story is that your senses will always like there is always a deeper layer to what you see, like what you perceive with your eyes, what you touch, what you feel, what you hear, what you smell is not what reality is. And so like the fact that people take their senses as absolute truth is the first reason why we all suffer so much. Like Mm -hmm. we cannot, again, we cannot think critically. We cannot have wisdom. We cannot be creative. We cannot live fully until like we reconcile the fact that your senses are always lying to you. Like everything that you see is not what, it looks like and it sounds really counterintuitive to now tell people look for the contradictions <laughs> yeah no really <laughs> because, and i think i think that is also by design it makes sense Ooh. for us to exist in an environment where there are no contradictions that we can think in really hard black and white because it makes us easier to it, it not that it makes it easier but it becomes um uh it, it there becomes less kind of room for the truth to be skewed um which is why people trust mainstream media so much which is why people trust their experiences and prioritize them as fact so much because the alternative breeds friction 
Like, are you? Ju- we're just gonna tell Ooh. people like your experience matters. Your individual experience is real. Like, you know what you see and and taste and feel. If it contradicts the norm, then you're in the wrong. Because it it's so much easier to make everybody fall into one line than to tell everybody you can live at the intersection of contradiction and still be yes. a whole human. <laughs> in fact, you That's do it. live at the intersection you of contradiction do. every day. You do. Mm-hmm. It's so I mean, interesting. I love it. I really do. <laughs> but um, I was telling Bobo before we started recording this episode that uh, after I had heard the you know the explanation or that definition between wisdom, creativity, and intelligence, um, it made me really empathize with uh, the people in the group who experience huge amounts of friction, whether you're on the quote unquote good side or the bad side, I get it because um, people who are able to see what is, which is if we're in the podcast group and we're talking about, you know, marginalized communities or injustice or the way the medical system is skewed negatively towards people of color. We can see that intelligence tells us that's what is. And then you have a few people who exist in this really, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's open-mindedness. I don't know if it's contrarianism, but who potentially see what could be, who are so done with this conversation of what is because it's, you know, it's depressing, like it's jarring. Yeah, yeah, the race conversation. It's depressing, it's jarring. Like, we get it. Like, you know, you blacks, jungle monkeys have been struggling for ages. We get it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. can we think about a utopia where we're all the same and where we all, <laughs> and when we all yeah. are seen as equals? <laughs> like, because to take, to take somebody out of their current existence and to have them spend extra time visualizing an existence that contrasts so heavily against what they know that would require creativity you know you really would have yeah. to <laughs> yeah in the same way it sounds counterintuitive to go tell somebody who's living in a slum like visualize and manifest yourself out of your current oh existence. my god i know your brain doesn't even work like that like, <laughs> where, <laughs> where are you meant to find the pictures to now start visualizing it's not happening <laughs> i love that you brought i was listening to russell brand's um podcast yesterday He was interviewing, I forget his name, but he's this really famous YouTuber. He does like these inspirational videos and he's a person of color. I guess, I guess he's Indian. I'm just assuming that he's Indian, but they started talking about race and what he said. And I just, it's funny. He said this and in the comment section, I was reading to see if people were triggered Because I knew that if someone had said what he said in our Facebook group, they would have been roasted. Game over. over. But basically what he said is that one of the reasons why he's successful is that his parents never convinced him that he's oppressed. So he's like, despite me being a person of color, like despite me coming from this ethnic background, I never (laughs) felt that I was racially oppressed and therefore I'm not. And I thought that was a really interesting, I think he's both right and he's both wrong. Like, yeah, but I thought that was a really interesting take on race because I I think that is fundamentally where racial conflict arises. There's on one hand, the people who are oppressed, um, non-white people who are oppressed, who will say, I'm tired of white people. I'm sick of white people. I'm tired of being oppressed and 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 
And then there's the Terry Cruises. There's the Kanye Wests. <laughs> there's the Diddy's. There was the me in 2012, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who are like, well, I'm black and I've decided that I'm not oppressed and therefore I'm not oppressed. And I often wonder, like, what is what is healthy? Is it is it the delusion that the Terry Cruises have fed themselves? Because even their delusion becomes their truth. Like a, a shared delusion is called reality. So is the is the shared delusion that negates actual lived experiences but gives you dopamine like gives you pleasure gives you happiness is that healthier than living in base reality and accepting the fundamental truth which is afro-pessimism which is the fact that whiteness is violent which is accepting the fact that like you have to live alongside white supremacist patriarchal capitalism like what is the healthy where is the truth in like between those two extreme takes where is the truth and like which is the healthier one to go with like how do you feel Mm. see i'm not sure if it's a delusion if it just exists outside your realm of possibility i mean i go to think about when i was younger so Mm. perhaps like let's say 15 that seems like a reasonable age and my brothers would be very paranoid about their experience in the world because they were i mean being a black man and being a black woman i think you know our experiences with racism are different and so their experience with it was much more volatile much more direct It, it it was less insidious it was far more like pointy and I used to I remember this one point in time where my uh very like angry adolescent brother was saying that you know he was out and about with his friends and they were like playing basketball or whatever yeah and these cops had come to um break up the game because the court like they weren't allowed to be using the court at night or something I don't know what these rules were but my brother was like it was just super frustrating because they couldn't come at us nicely and, you know, it was just so racist and, you know, they assumed that, like, why can't we just play a game? We're exercising. Like, why did we have to be so aggressively taken off? Mm. And I was like, but you're pretty aggressive too, you know? So, like, maybe it even wasn't a race thing. Maybe it was just, like, your attitude. Yeah. And he was like, no, it was definitely a race thing. And I was like, well, did they say? Like, anything about your race? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've had that exact but you, same experience. If you have yeah. to imagine, racism in a way that was so direct was not my experience. And direct in the sense that black guys in a dark park, being rowdy, having a good time, black joy is seen as, you know, violent in a lot of non-black eyes. So, you know, I but that wasn't a realm of my possibility. What I knew to be racism was, you know, people getting bashed and, you know, arrested and just far more violent activities and a few yeah. young adolescent men being told not to play their game at night. Yeah. And yeah. so I remember remember my mom just being like, don't listen to her. Like, she doesn't get it and she shouldn't have to. Like, just let her live in her, you know, in her state of ignorance. You know, however my mom would have said it in a way. Like, don't even mind her. She doesn't get it. One day she'll see it and like, you know, let's just hope it's later than she has to. Yeah. And so I remember now when I started to be more conscious of, because when I talk about, you know, 
the black experience, I'm still mindful. Like I still don't experience like pointy violent racism and I'm able to get on like a public platform and speak so loudly about racism because for a lot of the time, it's not personal. <laughs> like it's not my direct experience. I'm amalgamating mm. experiences that I've seen that I've overheard secondhand and saying this shit's fucked and I'm made more frustrated. And it's, it's almost more frustrating because I can see that because I don't, cause I, operate in certain intersections of the world I don't get that experience and it's because all it took is like a one job or the ability to articulate better or to be a DJ at the right time it's just these are not real reasons to not be having the same experience and so I start to think to myself again like the it's like intelligence creativity wisdom is like the wisdom is reconciling with what is and what could be and the reality of those both or both of those experiences but it took me mid-20s to see (laughs) those experiences fully. And like perhaps to my mom and my brothers, that was my delusion kicking in. They might've assumed that I'm choosing to ignore my own lived experience because it's a coping mechanism when really it wasn't an experience I could comprehend. Now, granted people like Terry Crews and Kanye are older. They're probably in their forties now. So we must be able to say that like, you've lived this much life why can't you see so clearly what is your experience? The difference is the intersections they've been able to like, uh, like operate in. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Like, the um, they live on the extreme fringes. It's not yeah, as though you are a 40-year-old black man in middle America who's working class, who's, you know, who's intermingling, you're at the fringes. So even having to now comprehend that people have experiences that you wouldn't even think about, like imagine Kanye like having to comprehend that some people just can't afford their rent. And meanwhile, he's like, I've got a whole estate that I could just like (laughs) throw out tomorrow and get a new one. That's not my problem. And so in the same way we can't comprehend why he can't comprehend, he probably can't comprehend why we can't comprehend. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, when you are almost a billionaire or a billionaire at this time, you literally can't comprehend why so many people who look and sound like you and maybe have been afforded the same experiences live in poverty. Because to you, that is delusion. Not stepping into your power, not seeing the possibilities. (laughs) not being able to look at the system and and work it for your own benefit that is delusion yes you know what i'm saying ah i understand i i get it and it's like i i can see why but here's the thing like it is delusion but it's also true but it's Mm. it's also false like it's everything at the same time it's true it's delusion it's false and it's reality like for and this is exactly what plato was saying for kanye west he believes that because he is a black man who grew up in the hood and was oppressed and he made it out using his talent that it's possible like every black man who hasn't made it out the hood like you're just not working hard enough but he also doesn't understand the fact that it 
it is inherently oppressive that you have to be a creative genius. Like, objectively speaking, Kanye West is a creative genius. Yeah. The fact that you have to be a creative genius to be able to be black and make it out the hood is oppressive. Like, that in and of itself is a form of racism. And, like, that's the layer that the people like Oprah and Terry Coons and Kanye West, like, (laughs) (laughs) that's his new name, Terry Coons. (laughs) And Diddy, like, that. that's the layer of racism they don't see because they're so stuck in their bubble of, I don't even know what to call, I guess I'd call it class privilege or... Even like it's similar. I was similar to you where I was just like, oh, I don't experience racism because I choose not to. And, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. But I hadn't realized like I have an ability to make white people comfortable. And that's already plus 10 points. Like yeah. it, as far as like structural oppression goes, that's plus 10 points. And then I have an accent that is palatable to white ears. That's 50 points. And like, Mm -hmm. these are all really small, tiny things that prevent me from experiencing overt racism. But that doesn't also mean that it exists. But it's also still not my lived reality. So like, if I were to come out and be a coon and be like, yeah, no, like racism actually doesn't exist because I don't experience it. I would be both right and wrong. And that's the contradiction of reality, which is like... This is basically what Plato was saying about his theory of forms, where like there's a perceived reality and then beyond that perception, there's the world of perfect forms. So like everything that you see is just an imitation of how things actually are. So like if there's a fire burning inside a cave, all you can see is the shadow reflected on the wall, but you'll never be able to see the fire itself. And I think about that Like, that's the delusion of reality on a metaphysical level, but that's also the delusion of reality on a lived experience, like, sociopolitical level. Like, when you, when a white person sees black people talking about race, all they see are the shadows on the wall, but they can't see the fire Mm. itself. Yeah, I just love, like, shout out to Plato for breaking down reality (laughs) for us. Get it, King. Um... And similar to what you mentioned when you're watching that uh, or listening to the Russell Brand, was it a podcast or was it the video? Yeah, it was a it was a podcast, a podcast with a guest, and you know he said that oppression wasn't his experience. I think that also comes down to um, the idea that people can't reconcile with the contradictions. Like mm. if he were to come on stage and say, "I, a person who has." you know, influence and affluence sitting on this stage now trying to give into people who probably are in far worse circumstances than I am, that I too am oppressed. That is a hard reality for the majority to reconcile with. So I understand when people don't want to become the narrative because you have to start performing the narrative. Similarly, when, when we first started this podcast and, um, Part of my frustration, not when we first started, sorry, when we made the conscious effort to stop talking about dating and sex because that, how much can you feed into a conversation like that? Like yeah, the advice yeah. was the same all the time. Yeah. And when we started to make the conscious decision to talk about race, but also, you know, our extreme different lived experiences with racism, I was concerned about how people might not be able to see that two truths 
could exist and contradict each other. Like how mm. could these two girls who now have a platform where they're able to speak uh, quite comfortably, have people who love and listen to them and affirm them, how can you now go say in the same breath that you two experience oppression? Because for most, uh, the way most people have an understanding of it is that it has to be um like the, the it has to be obvious like you need to be below the poverty line you need to be struggling to speak english you need to have parents who struggle to put food on the table for you or you are privileged similarly i think people struggle to comprehend any episodes where we could say in the same breath we're privileged but we also experience various levels of oppression Facts. because again it's yeah. hard to reconcile with the truth these these yeah. two things <laughs> these two things happen simultaneously. And so I can imagine with that guest now, because with the way people love to project their own definitions onto your lived experience, you can only imagine what would now happen if he settles into the, um, the lived being or the, the state of being that is oppression. Suddenly it's like, you need help and you need assistance right, and you probably have right. the things you have because you were a token or so on and so forth. So it's much easier for him to just step into the title of being the privileged person who was not affected by oppression in any way. Cause at least it's easier to stomach. As you were saying before though, it's kind of like people don't realize that even the concept of being a model minority is inherently racist and oppressive in that structure. Like Literally. it's reminding you that exceptionality needs to be your portion for you to see be seen as equal to somebody who isn't a minority. And some people are really comfortable with being the model minority because at least you're not like that ethnic person. person. Yeah, like, yeah. At least you get to hang, at least you have skills that are seen as being valuable and highly regarded. Not like those other ethnics. And I totally understand that in a lot of spaces, you got to cling to that shit because without it, you now start sinking into the deep depression that is realizing how oppressed you are in relation to your other counterparts, whether they be other ethnicities or white people, whatever that might be. So again, I totally get it. I totally get it. And this is why, like you said uh, in that tweet you made the other day, like arguing about race and racism is a paid activity that I just can't, I just I cannot. Free. I and cannot. Also, like I mentioned a couple episodes ago when we were talking about race, I feel as though the older you get, the more personal the topic becomes because you have the amalgamation of not only your own lived experiences, but the research you've done to understand other people's lived experiences that Facts. just make it so much harder to ignore yeah. the like the disparities between lived experiences. And so at one point it was easy to intellectualize the conversation and talk about class and privilege and like blah 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 but now it's like it's all personal now it's and i don't have the energy (laughs) or the emotional space yeah to to battle people who don't see it because again like if you don't see it like your ignorance must be so comfortable mine was i was a happier person when i didn't see the way no dead ass (laughs) no dead ass (laughs) but that's what i realized that like arguing about race is like arguing about a fire that a bitch can't see. Like, we are in... <laughs> which is an extension of Plato's story, is that once you exit the cave, the cave where all you saw were shadows, and you finally see the actual fire, that shit is blinding to your eyes. So you, mm. see, the sh- you see the fire. First, it takes a while for your eyes to adjust because you've been inside a dark cave your whole life. Now you go back inside the cave and you start telling other niggas like, fam, do you know that these shadows on the wall are actually just shadows of 
what is actually a real ass fire now they're looking at you like you're crazy and now you're debating people for free about a fire that they've never seen nah i can't do it i am clado so you must pay me (laughs) (laughs) honestly and again emotionally i can't afford it and but part of me wonders when i'm getting my back up about certain things because i've had to like I've, we've mentioned before, as I grow older, I need to become really honest with myself about what I actually care about and mm. what I feel like I'm forced to care about for the benefit of the performance of being a certain person, of being a Bitch, black person, speak being on a this. woman, Wait, being a person elaborate. with a platform. A lot of it feel, can feel like a performance. Get mad, get angry, educate us. Did you see this? And it's like, yeah, I saw it and I'm actively choosing not to care. <laughs> somebody, the other day, somebody the other day messaged me because I um, made an Instagram story of myself listening to my friend Abby's podcast while I was applying some drunk elephant glycolic night serum, which is for texture. Mm. Um, and I shared it because it's my job to share shit on the internet, I need to keep my engagement up, so on and so forth. Like, no yeah. biggie. Didn't think much of it. Somebody messaged me and said, are you really going to support drunk elephant? didn't know what they were talking about. I was like, yeah, I'm going to use the product I paid to use on the internet. Like, (laughs) yes, yes, I will. And they were like, well, did you see their response to uh, Black Lives Matter? And I was like, oh God, okay, what is this? So I go and research and basically when the black tile, I'm just calling it black tile days. Yeah. (laughs) When the black tile days were in full force um, and a, a few or a lot of brands were being asked to pull up, which was to show, um, to show how diverse their offices and their head offices were and how that trickled down to their social media usage. So how many, you know, POC faces can we see in your offices and also on your social media page? And Drunk Elephant were saying that, like, it seems really quite redundant to relegate our social consciousness to the amount of minorities we have in a room. Like, we just... And then they got, like, they got... uh, they got called out for how like backwards that sounds. And then I guess black tile days was over. And I said to this person, I'm like, I feel like you have to remember that my whole life I've been living in environments knowing that people are racist before they knew they were racist. Do you know what I (laughs) mean? Yeah. (laughs) Now that you are aware and now that you're aware of the fact that we we with our own coins feed into racist institutions and racist corporations and racist establishments. I get that's hard for you to reconcile. I've been doing it my whole life quite comfortably. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. while it feels radical for you to like put your money where your mouth is and like not support this brand because they said that bad thing about the blacks and the minorities, I'm so past that. Like I'm fighting a much bigger personal battle in my head. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yes. the baseline of my lived experience was up until my 20s every minority around me reminding me in some way that they experienced racism me Mm. having very very hard like blinders onto it don't want it don't want it not doing it not having it not doing it but being aware of that it's the same way you know water is good for you and that you have to have fucking two fruit five veg a day or whatever it is the same way i know that i operate and live in racist environments now that you're just coming to understand that, you now have to also reconcile with the fact that it's not new. Yes. And like, yeah. I, I, I have to consciously choose every day not to be sad, mad, or angry. Do you know what that feels like? Honestly, 
Honestly. Like, I'm so paranoid of people that I know and love exposing themselves as being more racist than (laughs) I thought. Because it's one thing just to know that people are racist. I know that for a fact. If you want to get on here and convince me you're not, I'll listen happily. But there was going to be a time in your life where you were blind to your own racism. You were using certain words, certain slurs regarding certain ethnicities as being less than. It happened, Mm. you know? I already know that to be fact. What I'm scared of is finding out that people are more racist than I thought. (laughs) I I care less about you saying the N-word once or whatever, and I care more about how you regard conversations about black lives, you know? Like, how how do you engage in those conversations? I don't care that you wear braids to a festival, but I care when somebody says that, you know, black people are the scum of the earth and I deserve to say the N-word, you've got nothing to come back to it. Like, no, yeah. no one, no part of you has got a rebuttal already. These things matter to me. Corporations exist to exploit our insecurities and sell them back to us. So, like, it's... Listen. The fact that you've just cottoned on to that, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. I'm actively choosing not to care to be angry about the 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 spaces I occupy because I it's not worth it. Gosh, because if I want to stop being angry, you are my problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not coming for corporations. Like when Lil's angry, I come for the community. Literally, like when Black Tile Days was happening, I wasn't coming for corporations. I was DMing friends and acquaintances, being like, "Hey, bitch, do you still say the N word?" Cool, 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 cool. That's what I was doing. I don't know what you were doing. (laughs) I love that. It's also because it's not every day. Like I saw there's a conversation happening now about whether doing a cat eye is racist. Yeah. And that for me is where I'm tapping out. Yeah. I'm sure it is. I'm sure there's a reason why it's racist. But I'm choosing not to care because I've... I feel that my race quota has already been saturated. Mm-hmm. I also just feel I'm at a point now where I feel like there's nothing else that anyone can say about race that's interesting. Like everything that's been said has been said. And now I'm onto the class war. Like the race <laughs> war is now boring to me. Like I'm bored. <laughs> like, but also- like if we're not killing the rich, like, why are we still talking about cat eyes? Like, I just... Yeah. And again, I mean, and it goes to show, like, I think I'll happily have the race conversation with somebody who is proactive about making sure racist environments are being changed. Like, the last thing I want to do is have a race conversation with somebody who's quite happily some corporations token anything. Like, Mm. we're past that. Like, we've now had, I would say most of us... Let's, let's talk about, like, let's say black people, because I can't speak for any other minority group. Black people. We probably had about three to four years to start being extra, extra weary of people we're engaging with, the way people are engaging with us, the stereotypes and preconceived ideas of what it is to be black, how blackness or the black experience differs per continent, per, like, minority group. We all now know... And so with this knowing, we've had ample time to start changing our behavior and making sure that we're either leaving spaces Mm. or pulling spaces up and calling them to task. So you're either leaving the racist corporation or you're in the racist corporation talking to your superiors and the executives and saying, hey, this is the issue. If you're in the middle and you're doing the chit chats, (laughs) but no change, are we making statements 
or are we making change? Ooh. I'm down I'm down for both, but let's not get the two of them twisted. Making statements is very self-fulfilling. It's also virtue signaling because it proves to the other blacks that you are the good black, the woke black, the aware black, but yeah. it proves to the other non-blacks that you are not one to play with. That's fine for harm reduction and self-preservation, but you are going to be harm reducing and preserving for the rest of your life if we don't get into the point where we're starting to make changes, which the change is calling out your friends, your family, your neighbors, your jobs, the person who grooms your dog, all of those people and inviting them into that conversation. Otherwise, you're tiring yourself out, not for no reason. It's all necessary, but it's tiresome. I feel like it takes just as much effort to make changes in the way that a lot of us aren't ready to do. Mm, yeah. I mean, like That's every time I truth. have to, like every time I have to like find, like not even find a nice way, but you know, after Black Tile Days, when I was approached by publications to, you know, help them teach their audiences how to check their racial biases, I had to say with my chest, I don't want to be used as a pawn for you to further this conversation. If people in positions of power at your publication won't be doing the same. Yeah, because they won't. Two like, years ago, I couldn't have used those words. I was scared. Two years later, I'm like, I got nothing to lose because yesterday we were in a racist Australia, tomorrow we're in a racist Australia. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> so like, what can I do to make myself more comfortable with knowing that? What makes me more comfortable? Talking to change makers. What makes me less comfortable trying to justify to strangers on the internet why I'm using drunk elephant serums. (laughs) (laughs) I am literally screaming. This also goes back to what you were saying before we hit record. A lot of the friction in our Facebook group comes from the fact that intermediate woke people are now impatient with the baby woke people. They now can't believe that they were once a baby woke. You know what I mean? And I think about like, how does this even extend to people outside? So like the vegan community is by far the worst community in the world. Like just the worst. And it's really like a lot of vegans don't remember the fact that they were once not vegan and like didn't know anything about the environment and didn't know anything about like animal agriculture and 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 I wonder like how much of that how much of that dissonance just creates unnecessary conflict like to Mm. what extent is even I hate the word woke to what extent is becoming more aware or to what extent is critical thinking actually critically thinking if you're not engaging with people who don't share your views Period. Yes. So I was speaking to Bobo about this because I was watching this surgeon's TikTok and he was saying that part of the issue with increasing your own intelligence and awareness and increasing your understanding of complicated concepts is once you get to the point where those once complicated concepts are very simple to you, you begin to lose the ability to comprehend that they aren't simple to everyone, Mm. which means your frustration now builds because you forget that you once found them complicated and you double down on how it's so simple that why can't anybody else find it as easy to comprehend as you can? And yes, the way I was explaining it to Bobo earlier was that 
uh, it's like with critical thinking or increasing your awareness about like racism or homophobia or any oppression, capitalism, whatever it might be. Those conversations and those concepts were once quite difficult to comprehend. But as you increase your understanding of them, you start to place um, mirrors between those concepts and your own lived experience. It becomes second nature. You can rattle off all this shit all day with anyone. It's just what you do. Up until you come across somebody who doesn't understand. But wait, what is capitalism? Like, and if I can be, if I can be transgender, why can't I be transracial? Yeah, you know, aren't white people oppressed as well? You know, if I grew up on food stamps, aren't I oppressed? Aren't black people oppressive? And suddenly you don't have the patience or even the ability or the range to now take what you know to be so simple and simplify it even further for Mm. people who aren't at your intellectual capacity. And it's a hard thing to do, but what also happens is that it's one thing to not be able to find the words or yeah, find the phrases to make it easy to understand, but now it becomes emotionally driven. Now you're getting upset, you're angry, you're volatile, you're refusing to see why this person cannot as if it's a conscious act of ignorance. And it may be, and it might not be, we don't have this information. But what's more concerning is that, Yes, as Bobo said, critically thinking is the ability to see all sides of a belief, a concept, a thought, and to understand why all those sides can come to be. Because Mm. when you increase your understanding of all the possibilities, you are now able to take what you know, your intelligence, and use it to understand what could be, which is creative thinking, to now re-educate someone. Also, A couple of, I don't know, it might have been a year ago now, maybe six months, Bobo was telling us about some of her gripes with, you know, feminism and how it's practiced these days. And she was saying how she feels as though a lot of people have forgotten that feminism is not like a destination. It's a journey. You don't decide you're a a feminist and then you stop. Like the whole point is to further us along into a state of progression. Yeah. Not villainize people who have not reached the destination that we are at because we shouldn't be at a destination. Yeah. We should be on an ever moving train. Similarly, when it comes to people who identify as critical thinkers, as we do, many of us forget we didn't get here to get here. The point is to get here and bring everybody along to where you're at. To the so ever, to, to the perpetually moving train. Like, exactly. there's no destination. No destination. And it's not like, when I say bring people where you're at, we're not saying to, like, go find some radical rights and make them radical left. No, it's the ability to now have a conversation with radical rights and say, or oh, not even radical, just anybody who doesn't yeah. share the same beliefs as you do when you do, and to be able to have a conversation with them, not to change their mind, but to to like explain your point of view in a way that's clearly and concisely understood. And many of us can't do that because when we're met with people who don't believe what we believe and how we believe it in the way we believe it, we arc up and we fuck off. We can't handle it. And that is the problem. As you were here in your room, reading your Tumblr literature, talking about, (laughs) you know, the feminism essay that you read, you forgot to to put that action and to like keep the train moving by actually yeah. doing something with that information. You're not smarter for knowing about capitalism and for having critical conversations about challenging it if you're in a room with someone who knows less or more than you and you can't meet them at either of their levels. Mm. What's the point? 
you know what it is also it's it's the it's the illusion of certainty like a lot of people feel that they have to be unmoving and unchanging like we mm. really villainize people for changing their minds yeah. <laughs> when really we should all constantly be changing our minds all the time like inconsistency is the goal it's not the flaw because certainty is a scam like I think a lot of people define intelligence as filling your mind up with knowledge when really intelligence is emptying your mind for space. Like you should yeah. continuously be throwing out your beliefs and making space for new perceptions and new perspectives, not emptying your mind with beliefs from other people's minds. Like that's mm -hmm. not intelligence. That's just memorization. What's the <laughs> point? <laughs> That's it. And if the point is a performance, I'm all good for performances. That's fine. But like recognize when you're dealing with someone who's also in a performance and save your energy. Mm, yeah, literally. <laughs> because for the most part, we can see, I mean, I feel as though everybody would be far better off if they channeled their energy to um, teaching and educating people that they actually knew, people they could speak to often and regularly and to like challenge their belief systems. I don't really think a one-off conversation with someone on the internet is doing the work per se, really, because it takes more than one aggressive conversation to change somebody's mind about something yeah. they don't care about yeah. or care strongly about. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Literally, But you're better yeah. off talking to your boyfriend five times about why he is so transphobic. That is where you should be spending your energy. But a lot of us are quite, um, resigned to changing people we know and love and projecting our interests to strangers on the internet for self-validation. Mm. I had a, a, a Facebook fight. It's like, okay, but your boyfriend is still a racist. So, so when are you going to work on that? <laughs> like I get it, but also I don't get it because the way I'm seeing it is like we're at, we're reaching maximum boiling point of online call out culture. Yes. But why am I still like part why why am I still dealing with racist institutions? Why are we still dealing with people who don't understand that the way we're responding to the pandemic is probably because we're in a lot of mental and physical unrest? Why like it's not reaching out it's not reaching the spaces we need it to. I'm happy and glad that like my internet circles are woke. But I would be happier if I didn't live in fear that when I went to the doctor, they wouldn't believe my pain because yeah. of a black woman. Like this, these are the institutions that we need to be working on because really it's not going to impact my life too negatively if I come across a thread on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, where somebody's being inherently racist. We've been doing that. Like we've been doing that. Can we start making changes in areas that are actually going to benefit our lifestyle? facts but again if it's a performance let it be a performance but i know for myself personally i need to start making statements and start making changes and for me like i'm not afraid to have a hard conversation but what i need to be doing is spending less time having hard conversations that are to satiate somebody else's um <clears throat> like uh somebody else's perception of me rather than actually just making proactive changes. Like I need to spend less time fighting Ooh. strangers on the internet for things yeah. that don't benefit me <laughs> and channel that to the corporations that are still using brown and black people as tokens to sell product. Channel it to like, you know, the environment, like walking into a medical center and not having to like 
look at them sideways when mm. they're zoning out as I tell them about my pain. Like these are areas that I find to be beneficial. But again, are you making a statement or are you making change? Make your statements and go. But listen, don't get mad listen. at people who aren't going to step in line to your performances, you know? Like, make your statement put and go. put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> like, put it on a cup. Make your statements and go. And go. You know, like, I just... It's because, honestly, like, when people... Every time I get a question about race or how somebody who isn't black should regard a conversation with another non-black person about race, I'm like, if I knew, racism would be gone. <laughs> if I really had the right words, the right phrases, the right intonation, the right level of empathy, it would I would have done it. I would have fixed it. would have racism. ended it. Fact. Like completely done last September. It would have been over. Clearly I don't. So the energy you spend like coming to my DMs, performing the good ally, just spend some time in your room doing some of your own thinking, do some of your own case studies, you know, A-B test some responses to racists, see how it goes. Because, like, I just feel as though I'm fighting my own battles. <laughs> as we all are. You know what I... As we all bra. are. <laughs> I don't have time or wants to fight yours as well. Literally. Especially because we don't have our... We have different motivations for eradicating racism. Like, Ooh. honestly, if, if it was black supremacy, I'd be less concerned. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm so done. It's equality because it's white <laughs> supremacy. But if it was black supremacy, I'd be I'd be chilling a little bit. <laughs> I am finished. I'm actually finished. Oh gosh, oh, I'm wow. losing it, but I'm happy. <laughs> no, I love that. I feel like that was really a word. That was really a word that needed to be put out into the ether. Thank you guys Everybody for listening. <laughs> yeah. Make your statement and go. And Let go. us know how you feel about this conversation. Tag us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And we'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.